1 Corinthians 2, 1 through 16. And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling, and my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Yet among the mature we do impart wisdom, although it is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away, but we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit, for the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. This is the word of God. Well, this is our 34th sermon in this series called Unsaintly Saints from 1 Corinthians. And in this series, what we are discovering, and uh, let me say this too, that uh, several folks asked about uh, last week about uh, can they go listen to a sermon, et cetera, and absolutely you can. Just go to our website. You can download it, listen to it. You can go to iTunes and follow uh, Grace Community Church uh, of Marion and, and get the uh, podcast. But uh, this morning, we come to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, and here in this passage, what we discover is Paul talking about unnatural wisdom. Now, Paul is talking to a city which was inundated with all kinds of opinions and all kinds of worldly, we may say, wisdom. All the uh, citizens of Corinth had to do was look back on the stone mountain behind the city, and they would see the temple of Aphrodite overlooking the city, and there they could learn a certain way to worship. In addition to that, they could look around the streets and walking around the streets of Corinth, one contemporary historian to Paul's day said there were at least a thousand cult prostitutes that roamed the streets of Corinth, so much so that it became uh, known if you were called a Corinthian girl, that meant you were loose. And so there was the whole mindset of the combination of religion and sexuality in a perverse way. You add to that 
the large arena where the Isthmian Games were held that held 18,000 people, or to the arts center where uh, 3,000 people would come to that uh, theater and hear paid orators, paid by the wealthy patrons of Corinth, they would come in to tell the people what the people wanted to hear, what the families had paid, and they would ultimately, paid them to say, and they would ultimately bring glory to that family. Such was the day in Corinth. And I would say to you that things aren't much different today than they were then. It's just that you don't have to go anywhere. You can sit in the comfort of your living room and hear any message, see anything you want to see. It streams through television. And so media through television gives us any message we want to hear, or it could be on your iPad or your iPod or your iPhone. The messages that we are inundated with as the people of God are profound. And if you aren't careful, and if I'm not careful, those messages will begin to take residence in our minds, and we will begin to think in ways that seem wise but are not biblical wisdom. Uh, You say, Jerry, I'm not sure I'm uh, that affected by it. Well, I I did some research this week to discover the top 10 advertising slogans uh, of all time. Now, obviously, that's subjective, and I wanted to share a few of them with you because I think you could fill in some blanks. This one was started by a jewelry company called De Beer, and uh, the... uh, the slogan is diamonds are forever, right? Diamonds are forever. Somebody said a girl's best friend. Um, I think that's more recent. Diamonds are forever. Uh, I'll just give you the company name and you say this one, Nike. Just do it. Isn't that interesting how that's in us? Uh, all right, this is for everybody in the room who's 40 and up. Back in the day, Wendy's had this crazy commercial that went on and on forever. And what did they say? Where's the beef? All right. That was crazy. That went on forever. Uh, This one, uh, let me see how many of you know this. Uh, Tastes great. Less filling, you bunch of alcoholics. All right. So, (laughs) tastes great, less filling. That's Miller Lite. Uh, How about Maxwell House? It's what? Good to the last drop. All I have to do is say Maxwell House, and you know good to the last drop. And Wheaties is the breakfast of champions. Those sayings are in us, are they not? We have heard them so many times that they have locked and lodged into our minds. And Paul is writing to a church that is surrounded by media that they can see and that they can hear. And these sayings get lodged in the minds of the people. And Paul, into that, says, let me talk to you about some wisdom. But it's all counterintuitive. It will surprise you. It will run counter to how you normally think. And so today I want to give you four nuggets of wisdom from chapter 2. The first, and you'll want to write these down. you want to take these home with you. Why? Because they have to work against the grain of what you normal, normally think about. And if you don't write them down, you don't take them with you, they will not work that way. You'll need to refer back. <clears throat> A nugget of wisdom number one, our worst moment was God's finest. Our worst moment was God's finest. 
Yeah, I want to begin with verse 6. Yet among the mature, we do impart wisdom. Although it is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. What does it mean that God decreed this wisdom before the ages for our glory? You theological types will like this. I'm going to dive down just a little deep for a moment. We'll come up for air. I promise you. But before the world began, God existed in 100% satisfaction and joy and love with himself. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. They hung out together, they enjoyed each other, they enjoyed one another's company, and they needed nothing. To say that God needs anything is to diminish his godness. As God, he needs nothing. And at some point in that existence, God, speaking to the Son, speaking to the Spirit, they decided to create. Not because God was low on love. He needed no love. Not because God needed you or needed me. He simply decided to create. He simply decided to say, let there be, and there was. And he created Adam and Eve. Before he created them, he created the universe, the worlds. He created the sun and the moon and the stars simply by a spoken word. He makes Adam. He doesn't want Adam to be alone. He makes Eve. And they are living together in the Garden of Eden. And there's one tree they can't touch, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They can't touch that tree. Along comes the serpent, the snake slithering through the garden, and the serpent looks at Eve and deceives her who deceives Adam, and together uh, they eat the forbidden fruit. And what do they do? They try to cover up and they hide. Some of you have said some things this week and you honestly thought God wasn't listening. Somehow that escaped his ears. You've done things this week and you thought God wasn't watching. Somehow God didn't get that. But God hears all, God sees all. And so what does God do? This is humanity's worst moment. Take this beautiful creation, all of this glory that God has given, and what does humanity do? Humanity sins and blows it, and in God's worst, in, in humanity's worst moment, what does God do? God comes walking in the garden in the cool part of the day. He always did that. And what does he say? Adam, Eve, where are you? Did God know where they were? Of course. He condescended to ask the question. And they said, we hid. And God has a conversation. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 15 we hear what theologians call the proto-evangelion, the first good news, the first gospel. Here it is. God says to the serpent, I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring, he shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. What is he saying? 
It's interesting because there's a definite article here. I will put enmity between you and the woman. Not just any woman. God in Genesis chapter 3 says, down the road there's going to be a little girl in an unknown part of the world. In the backwaters of the world, her name will be Mary. I will impregnate her by the Spirit. She will have a baby boy. He will grow up in Jerusalem and Nazareth, and he will go to the cross. I will put enmity between you, Satan, and the woman, Mary, and between your seed and hers. What's going to happen? He, Satan's seed, he, Jesus rather, will crush your head. You will bruise his heel. When did that happen? It was a Friday. Jesus Christ was crucified. And at the crucifixion, Satan thought he had won. He had struck Jesus' heel. He had struck his heel and he had thought he had won. But here's the deal. You could get snake bitten on the heel and not die. You could get snake bitten on the heel and it not be the final deal for you. But if you take your foot and crush a snake's head, guess what? He's done. Right? It's over. And so in Genesis 3.15, God says, He, Jesus, uh, shall bruise your head, Satan. He will crush you. You will strike at his heel. On Friday, Satan struck. But on Sunday morning, Jesus crushed Satan's heel when he rose from the dead. Before the ages began, God decided that our worst moment would be his finest. When we blew it the worst, God would be at his best. And parents, you understand this. Why? We do our best parenting when our kids are at their worst. We do. Kids, when you're doing well, well, we just kind of put it in neutral and are thankful, aren't we, parents, that we can. But when you're at your worst, when you're making mistakes, when you're failing, and we've got to correct you on it, that's when we as parents kick it into overdrive and we figure things out and we pray more than normal and we seek God more than normal because we want to guide you and direct you and help you to be like Christ. That's when we do our best parenting. It's when you're at your worst. And that's exactly what happens. Man's worst moment was God's finest. Verse 8, Paul says this, that if they had known, look at verse 8, none of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Paul's saying, hey, if they'd realized this, they never would have crucified Jesus. Why? Well, if as Jews they believed, you, you would never crucify your Messiah. Deuteronomy in their law says, cursed is any man who hangs on a tree, so they wouldn't have hung him on a tree. But then there's a double meaning here. If they had known that crucifying Jesus would result in the salvation of the Gentiles, they never would have done it. They played right into God's hand without knowing it. What they thought would put an end to Jesus for all time was like planting seeds in fertile ground that grew up and produced more seeds that spread and spread and is still spreading today. 
Nugget number one, our worst moment was God's finest. The nugget of wisdom, uh, unnatural wisdom. Number two, our most public problem revealed God's most secret solution. Our most public problem revealed God's most secret solution. Look at verse 9. Paul says, but as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. Now, here's the interesting thing. Most people hear that passage and they think about what? Heaven. It's been most quoted to talk about heaven. And guess what? It has nothing to do with heaven. That passage in its context, has absolutely nothing to do with heaven. Yes, heaven is beyond our imagination. Yes, heaven is absolutely amazing. But what Paul is talking about here in this context is salvation. Paul is saying the way God is going to save people is beyond our ability to imagine. We've never heard of anything like it. We've never seen anything like it ever. We never would have called this one, Paul is saying. Well, scholars wonder where he's quoting from. I think he's quoting from Isaiah 64. It is simply my opinion, and let me tell you why. I'll read just a few of those verses, one through four of Isaiah 64. Isaiah talking to God says, Oh God, that you would rend the heavens and come down, that the mountains might quake at your presence as when fire kindles brushwood and the fire causes water to boil to make your name known to your adversaries and that the nations might tremble at your presence. Listen to verse 3. When you did awesome things that we didn't look for. When you did awesome things that we did not look for, you came down, the mountains quaked at your presence, and here we go. From of old, no one has heard or perceived by the ear. No eye has seen a God besides you who acts for those who wait for him. Isaiah is saying, no eye seen, no ear has heard. Nobody's seen a God act like this. And he says, God, that you would rend the heavens and come down and shake the mountains. But God didn't quite answer that prayer like Isaiah anticipated. It would be, Several hundred years later, that God, through the most unnatural move, the most unnatural wisdom, would send a baby boy. And this baby boy would be born and feed at his mother's breast. Whoever would have thought God would breastfeed? God called it in Genesis 3, but everybody missed it. And so God would send a baby boy, and this baby boy would grow up in the backwaters of the world in Nazareth, so much so that Nathaniel would say, on hearing about him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? And Jesus did. And that he would be Israel's best-kept secret. That he would serve in obscurity for almost 30 years and then in his ministry be completely misunderstood. Nobody would get him and he would go to a cross. But what happened when he went to the cross? The mountains trembled like Isaiah asked. Oh God, that you would rend the heavens and come down. And when Jesus did, the mountains trembled and graves opened. And God answered Isaiah's prayer in a way that Isaiah never, ever anticipated. Why? Our most public problem revealed God's most secret solution. Our problem was sin. God's solution was to send a Savior who would die on our behalf for our sin. 
Nobody saw that coming. Jesus came and he died. And nobody thought it would happen like that. I remember I was a senior in college and it was my last semester and I had public speaking class. If you've ever had that class, it is the most nerve-wracking class that you will ever take, right? It is the number one fear over dying even. No lie, it's public speaking. If you look at the percentage list, it is listed higher than the fear of death is speaking in public. And we had the professor to end all professors. She was full of herself. Her name was Linda Powers, and she lived up to it. She thought she was all powerful. And she was so full of herself. And I remember her, uh, we had our final exam, and our final exam, I've always thought this is bad teaching, but our final exam was one-third of our grade. And it was a speech. Had to be a persuasive speech. Counts a third of your grade. You blow that, you blow the class. That is way too much pressure. So I remember sitting in there. We all have to give this persuasive speech. It's a three-hour long deal as the exam period was, but there was enough time for all of us to give our speech within our time limit. And this kid got up. This uh, kid got up who wanted to graduate like I did, and he began to give his speech. And when he did, he said, Today I'm going to tell you why you should join the Peace Corps. And when he said Peace Corps, I went, Oh, my. And so I thought he's about to be a corpse. And um, I saw her and her eyebrows. She had super thick eyebrows for a woman. But at any rate, they just went up. And when they did, she waited. And he got to the next time he was supposed to say Peace Corps. And he said Peace Corps. And she stopped him mid-sentence and said, Listen, said his name, go to the library, figure out what's wrong with your speech, and come back. Ooh. I thought, poor guy, he's flunked. So the other speeches continued. He comes back into class, and when he gets back into class, he stands up, and we're all waiting, like, whew, hope he figured it out. And he stood up, and he said, today, I'm going to tell you why you should join the Peace Corps. And we all were about to die. She did not let him get past that word. She said, listen, I want you to leave. You go to the library, you figure out what's wrong with your speech, and you come back. And I thought, this dude's done. Like, he's got to be freaking out. And obviously, for some reason, he's doing a whole speech on a word he doesn't know how to pronounce. That was beyond me, but he was. So we had a break. And I was thinking, I can't let this happen. I don't know why I took ownership of this, but I did. I couldn't stand Miss Powers. And so I thought, I can't let this happen. But I can't cheat either. So how do I do this without cheating? So I go over to the library. I'm walking up and down, and sure enough, there he sits. And he, the look on his face was sheer terror. And he is reading his speech over and over again. And I leaned down to him, and I said, listen, I think it's a great idea to join the Peace Corps. <laughs> and he said, me too. I'm trying to give a speech about it. So what the heck? Can't you get this? I said, listen, listen, listen. The Peace Corps is a great invention. He went, core? Duh. Yes. 
You know, I didn't say a word. I didn't say, yes, that's it. I, I never, I didn't say a word. I just simply walked out. I went back after our break was over. Here he comes in and he gets up and he says, today I'm going to tell you why you should join the Peace Corps. And you could hear the whole class go, oh. we were so thrilled. You know, Linda Powers never knew I did that. Didn't have a clue where the kid learned how to say Peace Corps. She didn't have a clue. The kid on his way out said, thank you. I said, you're welcome. And we just kept right on trucking. That's how God worked with the cross. It was so silent. It was so hidden. Nobody knew. Jesus had it on his mind, but the whole world missed it. Even his closest disciples, it threw them. They missed it. They absolutely missed it. A nugget of wisdom. Our most public problem revealed God's most secret solution. 1 Corinthians says, hidden and secret wisdom of God. What was that? The cross. You know, let me pause for a moment, and I want you to hear me on this. I love you. That's why some of you struggle with this. You can't believe that the God of all creation would sacrifice his own son so that you might have life. You stumble at that. Third nugget of truth, our most natural problem revealed God's most spiritual solution. Our most natural problem revealed God's most spiritual solution. Verse 10, these things God has revealed to us through the what, church? Spirit. Let's say, all that, to, let's say that together. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. If you come to Christ, please hear me. The only way you'll come is because the Spirit reveals him to you. If you come to Christ, if you sit here this morning and you want to know more and you're listening to this and something's stirring deep within you, it is because the Holy Spirit has done that. Let's read on. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The only way you can know Christ is when the Holy Spirit says, Bill, this is Jesus. Could I introduce you? The only way that you can know Christ is when the Holy Spirit says, Daniel, Jesus, Jesus, Daniel. That's the only way. Unless the Holy Spirit draws you, Jesus says, unless the Spirit draws you, you won't come. It is the Holy Spirit who does this active work of introducing people to Christ. And if you sit here this morning and you don't know Christ, this comes to you quite strange. But if you do know Christ, you know the moment at which the Holy Spirit began to work in your heart and he began to prick your heart and he began to say, hey, 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 I want to introduce you to Jesus Christ. And something began to happen that you cannot explain. The words don't come easily. You try to figure it out. It doesn't happen. And all of a sudden, the things that made no sense to you make sense. 
The things that were strange to you all of a sudden seem familiar. And the things that were uh, unusual to you all of a sudden seem usual. Why? The Holy Spirit is at work. And you'll hear a sermon, and it will resonate with you. And it will be like food for a hungry soul. And you'll go home and go, oh, I could just eat on that all evening. And come tomorrow, you'll want, you want some more. And you'll get into God's word for yourself and God's word, which made no sense to you before. Well, all of a sudden, those words will dance off the page. Why? It's the Holy Spirit doing that. All of this is revealed by the Spirit. Now read on because this gets pretty, pretty good. Verse 14, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. If you sit in here this morning and you don't know Christ, you are saying right now in your mind, this is hogwash. I don't believe you. No, I don't believe you. Why? Because you're still a natural person. You have yet to be indwelled by the Spirit. And as a natural person, you don't get it. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. You can laugh at it. You can say, that's crazy. That's crazy. I don't buy that. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. But look at this, verse 15. The spiritual person judges all things. What does that mean? When you come to God by faith in Christ, the Holy Spirit comes to live in you at that moment. And from that moment on, you have two possibilities of decision-making. All right, Every person in the room can make decisions naturally. Every one of us can exercise natural wisdom. What does that look like? Well, it ranges. It could be as benign as Dr. Phil or as crazy as Mari. All right? Whatever. It can run the gamut. Natural wisdom runs the gamut. It depends on the context. It depends on your frame of mind. It depends on how angry you are, how excited you are, whatever the case may be. But when you come to God by faith in Christ, guess what? You also have spiritual wisdom. And you're faced with a choice with every single decision you make. Hear me. Will I be my old natural self? Or will I walk by the Spirit? What does your old natural self do? Ah, greedy for power, greedy for money, greedy for sex, greedy for so many things, needy for all those things too. But then... You can make decisions by the Spirit. And your greed is replaced by generosity. And your anger is replaced by forgiveness. And your frustration and your fears are replaced by confidence. Why? Because as a spiritual person, you're judging things differently. You can judge all things. But guess what? A natural person can't do that. They have one MO, and their one MO is to be natural. They'll never be spiritual. That's what Paul is saying. Our most natural problem revealed God's most spiritual solution. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? That's a rhetorical question, nobody. But we have the mind of Christ. How do you and I have the mind of Christ? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit helps us to think like Jesus. What would Jesus do? Where would Jesus go? How would Jesus react to this? All of a sudden, when you come to faith in Christ, the Holy Spirit does that. The Holy Spirit does it. Uh, let me illustrate it this way. I want to show you a picture. And it's a picture of a painting that my son did, Trent did. He did it at school. It hangs in my office, and they took a picture of it, and I have it up here. You know, here it is um, uh, uh, right here. 
And when people come in my office, they go, wow, you, you can tell Trent valued it. He folded it in half when he brought it home. See the crease right down the middle. And so I took it and said, Trent, that's so cool, man. I love that. And so framed it, put it in my office, and people come in and go, wow, that is so cool. How did Trent ever, ever do that? Well, all the school teachers in the room probably know how he did this. The color, all those beautiful colors, just what everybody loves, that's on the piece of paper. All Trent did was to take that black color and swirl it all over the page. And the colors in the background come through all his swirlies. See that? The red and the yellow and the blue, that was all on the piece of paper. It's just the paint that makes it look like Trent chose all the reds and the yellows and the blues and somehow did it without mixing them weird. That's exactly how the Spirit works. See, Jerry, what do you mean? The Spirit always provides the color. The Spirit always provides the color. And you, what do you bring? You bring yourself, and you'll dip your finger in the paint of your life, and you will begin to paint. And for you, it's teaching, and for some, it's serving, and for some, it's going out into backyard Bible clubs. It's whatever it is. It's, it's kids' camp. It's whatever it looks like. And so you're dipping your finger in paint, and the Holy Spirit is going to provide the colorful background every time. You don't have to come up with the color. Let the Spirit do that. You just offer yourself a living sacrifice. You, you just show up, and you do what you do, and you do it as God has blessed you to do it. And so the praise team leads praise and worship, and God uses them tremendously. But if some of you did that, oh, it would be horrible, wouldn't it? You'd be like, wow, you know? The Holy Spirit does that. He provides all of the color. Our most natural problem revealed God's most spiritual solution. And the final negative truth, our weakest moment is God's strongest. Look at the first verses. I skipped them on purpose, one through five. Paul says, and I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. Meaning, you, your town is full of orators. Your town is full of people who can give some super cool speeches. I did not try to compete with them. I did not try to be an orator among orators. Could Paul have done it? Verse 2 says, yes, he could have, for I decided. So he decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Now, that's a crazy message. In a day where Cicero said, I think I quoted last week, Cicero said, don't think about the cross, don't look at the cross, remove the idea of a cross as far from you as you can. And Paul said, I came with one message. That's Jesus Christ dying on a cross. Hey, if you're a marketing firm, try to put a spin on uh, celebrating somebody who died in an electric chair. You can't put a spin on that. And the cross was the electric chair of Jesus' day. And Paul says, I came to you and I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I was with you in weakness and fear and much trembling. Paul said, I didn't look cool. I didn't have it all together. I just... Struggled. I, I was among you and I, I was afraid and, uh, and trembling. I was weak. And my speech and my message were not implausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of what, church? The what? The spirit and power. So that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. Nugget number four, our weakest moment is God's strongest. We got this backwards, don't we? Oh, we think we've got to be strong and we've got to figure it out and everything has to be figured all out. This morning, if you got here in time, you saw all these kids up on the stage and there's one group, Rayford Road Baptist Church from Jacksonville, Florida. 
And so on Friday, James Bryan was coming back from uh, youth, and I covered for James down at Crossmill. And so we go, and, and I'm rolling in uh, Crossmill on the bus with the Rayford group. Nathaniel's our youth minister, super guy, such a humble guy. And uh, we're rolling into Crossmill, and I look at Nathaniel, and we have gotten there to park, right there at the park. And uh, there's some kids already waiting for us, and we just want to share the gospel with those kids. So the way it goes is those groups bring in everything, and we just we canvass the neighborhoods ahead of time. We get kids there for them to, to share the gospel with, et cetera. And so I look at Nathaniel, and I said, now, you've, you've got everything, right? And he said, what do you mean? I said, Bible story? He said, no. Games? No. I said, Nathaniel, uh, crafts? No. I said, anything, frisbee, basketball. Did you bring anything? He said, nothing. Oops. And my OCD self is kicking in now. I said, well, what do you think we're going to do? Have you ever done a backyard Bible club before? No. (laughs) Well, this is going to go great. You know, it's so my, I'm so OCD. I would plan that like years ago, you know, and I'm thinking, well, you came all the way from Florida. And so, and so I said, well, okay, okay. Uh, um, well, obviously there's a breakdown in communication because that's what you're supposed to do. And we're supposed to kind of get all the sites ready and that kind of thing for you. I said, so we got kids waiting. We're going to do something. And so he said, uh, well, uh, my background's the why. I can play some games. I said, well, let's go do that. Some of your kids get ready. We're going to go canvas the neighborhoods. And he said, will you go to the neighborhoods? And I thought, you're scared. I will. Yeah, I'll do it. And so Nathaniel, super humble guy. So here we're going through the neighborhoods, and we're inviting kids to God knows what, you know? I don't know what's going to happen, but we're telling them to come on. And so we're going through the neighborhoods telling the kids to come on. I don't have a clue what's going to happen when we get down there. And so we get down there, and uh, we have a few kids, and they play games with them and that kind of thing, and it starts to rain. And I thought, well, I can't leave these kids without telling them about Jesus Christ. So there's some older kids, and I gather the older kids. There's five, four or five of them. And I gathered them, and I said, would you join me at this picnic table? And they did. And sitting to my left was Alondra. And then across from me, uh, she's going into the fourth grade, and Omar is going into the seventh grade, and Madeline is going into the sixth grade. And there was one other kid, I can't remember his name, and they sat down, and I said, have you ever heard the story of Zacchaeus? And they said, no. None of them had ever heard the story. Let me just do a little test. How many of you have heard the story? Raise your hand of Zacchaeus. Raise it high. Look around. None of them had ever heard the story. I said, well, let me tell you. And I started telling the Zacchaeus story. Now, it started to rain pretty hard at this point. Rain is coming down. It's really kind of distracting around. But there are four kids, and they are absolutely glued. Like They can't take their eyes off me. And I, I told him about Zacchaeus, and he was a tax collector, and they didn't know what taxes were. And I said, you know, like if you go to the store and you buy a pop for, you, you know, for a dollar, how much do you pay? And they said, oh, that extra part. And I said, yeah. And they said, we hate taxes. I said, well, we all do. And I said, so, but Zacchaeus, what he would do is he charged twice. Like if you owed 100, he charged you 200. And if you owed 200, he charged four, that kind of thing. So we all made up amounts, and they all owed Zacchaeus. And I said, but Zacchaeus, but Jesus comes through town, And he sees Zacchaeus in a tree, and he calls out for Zacchaeus to come down out of the tree so he could go in and have some lunch with him. 
what do you think about that? They said, who would want to have lunch with Zacchaeus? I said, agreed. I said, but something happens, and they come out of the lunch, and, uh, and Zacchaeus has an announcement to make. What do you think people have been saying all around uh, outside waiting on them to finish up their lunch? And they made up really mean sayings that they thought that those people would say for Jesus spending so much time with a dirty, rotten tax collector. And so he came out of the lunch, and, and I said, you know, it's like after the NBA finals when they meet with the key players. It was Jesus and Zacchaeus, and they had a, had a, had a press uh, conference and made an announcement, and here's what Zacchaeus said. And so, so Alondra, she owed 50 she had, she had paid Zacchaeus 50 bucks, and Omar had paid him 100 and Madeline, she had paid 200 I said, uh, so what happened? Or she had paid 400 I said, so what happened? Zacchaeus, or 200 uh, Zacchaeus said he'd pay, you back, pay everybody back four times. So we did a little math lesson for all you teachers. We did a little math lesson. They multiplied. And Madeline, she said, I'm going to the mall. <laughs> I said, why? She said, $800. I said, what do you think about that? I said, I just want to hear your reaction to this story. What does it tell you about Jesus? And uh, Omar said that he likes good people. I thought, oh, they missed the whole thing. And uh, I said, well, Jesus likes good people, but keep on. Remember Zacchaeus and Omar said he likes bad people? Yeah. I said, let me tell you how we know for sure Jesus loves bad people. And I told him about the cross. And how Jesus died for them. Do you know what? Nugget number four, our weakest moment is God's strongest. I lie you not, I didn't expect that glorious moment right there where I could just fully declare the gospel. I just thought this was going to be an epic fail. So we show up yesterday, and we had seven kids on Friday, and we had 16 yesterday. And they're there, and they're coming in, and, and we just think, wow. And the group, guess what they had done? They'd gone home, done their homework, went to Walmart, bought some craft stuff. They had games to play, crafts to do, lessons to teach. They're ready to roll. And so we do food for them. And guess what? We blew it day two. I come up here, bring the food in. It's pork barbecue. I mean, how much better is that? And so we're serving it up, and this kid opens it, and he says, what's this made out of? I said, it's pig, son. He said, can't eat pork. Four Jews showed up yesterday. I had no clue. No clue. And they're sitting there, and they're looking at each other like they're serving pork. And my son is sitting across from him, and Trent looks at me like, you can't eat pork? And one of them said, it's a sin to eat pork. And Trent said, Dad, come over here. And so I get over to the side, and he says, he said it's a sin to eat pork, and I just ate it right in front of him. I said, listen, Trent, don't worry about that. Just get over there and hang out. We'll deal with the pork later. On the way up the road, we'll talk about pork and why they believe that. And I thought... Once again, our weakest moment is his what, church? You said that so benignly. Our weakest moment is his what? Do you believe that? Do you? What's our problem? 
We live most of our lives by natural wisdom and natural abilities. When there's a great God in heaven who's screaming out, hey, I can come through for you right here. Just just step back. Let me do my thing. Let me be me. Let me be God. Let me be glorious in this. Let me show you how to forgive. Let me show you how to love. Let me show you how to make something out of nothing. Does not God delight in that? And we live most of our lives in this little tiny box of what we can figure out and there's a God in heaven who says hey give me your weakness I'll make it the best thing you've ever done that's unnatural wisdom isn't it it is well this is how we're going to end the day No invitation today. I think what you need to do, I know what you need to do. Some of you need to take these four nuggets of truth and you need to be able to say them as quickly as you can say Wheaties are blank and Nike blank. And so if that's on your iPad, your iPod, if it's on the dash of your car, wherever it is, You've got to get it from here to here, and you've got to act on it.